0: Welcome back to Bible Love. We are continuing our journey through the book of Numbers. We uh, are joined by a very special guest, the Reverend Canon Jimmy Hartley, who serves with me on diocesan staff here in Upper South Carolina. Uh, Jimmy and I have quite a history. We are a nemesis, one might say. And so knowing that Um, And with our relationship, we judge each other pretty harshly. And as it turns out, today is the feast of Marina, the monk. And the prayer appointed for today for Marina, our friend, the monk, um, has to do with exactly that problem that Jimmy and I have. So I thought we would open with that prayer. So let us pray. Give us grace, Lord God, to refrain from judgments about the sins of others. That, like your servant Marina the monk, we may hold fast to the path of discipleship in the midst of unjust judgments. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Amen. To that prayer today, um, to not judge each other and love each other through this. It's going to be hard, though. Jimmy, we're glad I, you're here.
2: I'm not going to have a. Thank you. I, I will not have a problem with it at all. Um, it's, it's someone else on this call.
1: Well, we have been trying to get Jimmy to do this for a while, so it is a banner day here at the Bible Love Recording Studios in Greenwood and Columbia, and we're excited to have you so thanks for doing it
0: jimmy is um an expert that we've brought on he's the jimmy's the canon for formation and some other things that i always forget his title (laughs) but he he is the one in our diocese that helps us figure out what it means to study scripture and be disciples and all of that and so to have a bible expert like jimmy come on the show is indeed a great honor
1: it is Such an honor. So what are we going to talk about today? Numbers three and four.
0: Yeah, very exciting. Numbers three and four. Lots of action happening.
1: There is a lot of action in numbers three and four. It is much like numbers one and two, is it not?
0: Yeah, (laughs) probably a lot like numbers five and six.
1: Right. So let's dig in it. What happens in numbers three and four? Anybody want to jump in?
0: I'll start. Let me find that real quick. I'm reading from the NRSV, as I have been recently. So it starts, this is the lineage of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the son of Aaron, Nadab the firstborn and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the anointed priest whom he ordained to ministers as priest. Nadab and Abihu died. Before the Lord, when they offered unholy fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai, and they had no children. Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests in the lifetime of their father, Aaron. Good good
1: job with the pronunciation.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I just go with it. It's probably all wrong. I just try to own it. But we heard that story about um, Nadab and Abihu a couple weeks ago, right? Where Mm -hmm. they worshipped in the wrong way and got struck dead.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Scary. We don't want to worship in the wrong way around here, right? Yeah. You never know what might happen. What do you think about that little section, Jimmy?
2: Well, you know the thing that, I, and the NRSV is interesting that they use this, but the that the, the translation around the unholy fire, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the unsatisfied fire. But you know, I I think it's I think. That piece is, um, I don't know. You know, one of the one of the ways that is uh, that's so important, I think, for for people of faith to come to scripture is by engaging in the ways that we can use our imagination our thoughts and 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 kind of the senses that that bring us to see and make scripture alive, and uh, sometimes the, at least for me, my imagination, uh, gets carried away. Uh, and so when I think about this unholy fire, I, I kind of go, um, yeah, it really, it really kind of strikes my curiosity and makes me think and ask about, well, what exactly, what exactly is unholy fire? Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, what's holy fire and how, how might that, um, how might that be something that, uh, that helps us to understand the ways in which God moves and lives and uh and speaks to us and and transforms our lives. <laughs> so um I think the answer Do You know what that, the difference
1: is of unholy and holy fire? I
2: don't No, I I I have no clue, but but I did look at another translation um because I had no clue what unholy fire was. Um and uh and this this is from uh this is a translation from robert alter and and he calls it the unfit fire and i i still still am unclear as to how how can you make a fire fit or unfit um mm-hmm. you know but but at least uh at least it helps to understand that you know there's there's something about there's something about the ways that these these two guys went for uh starting this fire that that was uh
0: not not properly set aside um yeah and this you know this here we're jumping back to leviticus 7 or 10 mm-hmm. or whatever it was but it also brings to mind and i forget which day so we jimmy we've been doing this uh, bible reading plan through you version the app and and i'll have another one for the next couple of weeks set up so folks listening can join in And there was one week in which they talked about um, these folks that were prophesying, but weren't some of those who were deemed prophets. Mm -hmm. And, And the response from Moses from God was, "That's okay." And so, how how do you take this? There's a right and wrong way to worship, to do the fire, whatever, and people die over it. But then at the same time, there's this notion that if folks are prophesying, if folks are trying to speak what God is trying to say, if folks are trying then it's okay. Like, to me, that seems like the polar opposites of do it the right way or die or kind of as long as you're doing it with a sincere heart, it's okay. And what's the middle ground there? I mean, you know, we have folks who take liturgy and take these things very seriously today. um, And there's a right way and a wrong way. And then we have folks who, as long as you do it sincerely, it's okay.
1: Yeah, we were kind of having this conversation yesterday, Alan, um, in in a different way of the of the the altar table or acolytes, right? Like there are some people. I'm not one of those who are like get very upset when the um, candles are not um, lit correctly. Where I'm more like I'm just glad these kids are here willing to light some candles, you know, um, but we have some folks that want it done properly in the right way. What do y'all think about that? I mean, I think Alan's more in my camp, but what do you think, Jimmy?
2: Well, I don't know. I, I think that there, I think that there is, um, there, there is some relevance to having liturgy done well. And I think if it, if it helps, you uh, if it helps people who are being formed are acolytes for instance to to uh, use that those motions and activities as ways to be formed and deepen their relationship with God and understanding about liturgy um, then um, then I, then I think it's helpful you know I remember I grew up in the Episcopal Church and and I remember you know my priest as an acolyte you know describing lighting candles you know, uh, the idea that uh, and I have no clue if it's right or wrong i I'm not read books, so maybe maybe some of your listeners can clarify this uh, but um but you know moving you know lighting the candles towards the cross and away from the cross uh as mm-hmm. you, you know, particularly the candle operas that like that are that are sort of pitched and move up you know with you know like moving moving toward. Uh, uh, the moment of worship and then, and then the idea of sort of extinguishing and moving out. You know, the Methodists do that really well, I think. Uh, although it's, it's strange from, from an Anglican perspective that they take the candle snuffer and they light it and they process with the candle snuffer and they bring that light into the church and then they come and light from from those you know from the tippet, they come and light the the their candles and begin their uh begin their service sort of almost from from what we conceive as as that like Easter vigil, like the darkness and the space, and then that God comes <laughs> in inhabits it in the light, and then at the end they extinguish these lights um and then and then process the lit the lit tippet. Back out into the world, and so you know well that 's sort of a strange function for for the snuffer to be a liturgical equipment as they 're just functional for us as Anglicans episcopalians you know that that 's an interesting that's an interesting symbol that that's been that helps that the liturgy informs our formation in unspoken ways, and so I think that there is relevance uh or 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 significance to us doing it right. I think ultimately, yeah, you know, as long as we do it well, right, and that liturgy is done with intention, even if, you know, and well doesn't mean necessarily making a, you know, having a, a perfect run, right? You know, the the perfect performance or whatever. But but uh but doing it well is with practice and preparation and intention. Uh I think uh, you know, um, I think I think that's that's really where where I would land with with uh, with liturgy, and looking for those places where even if you're making stuff up, which maybe my priest did, I you know, yeah, the gospel side and the uh, the lectern side and and where those are and and how that moves within the space of the acolyte and things like that all those are formational pieces that are worth looking at when we, when we do all the extra things with our people, help them be formed
0: in their faith a little bit. So yeah. um, I don't know. Yeah, that, I think that's the, uh, yeah, well, to uh, me, that intentionality, right. We're not just doing things for the heck of it, but like, there's a, a reason, there's a formational aspect. And even if it's just a tradition or something that, that one congregation says this is how we do it and this is how we're going to talk about it like the light of Christ rising toward the cross or whatever it is uh, I think that's important to understand uh-huh. kind of the background and and the reasoning behind it and you know we're kind of, we started off a little bit off topic talking about these two guys that died in Leviticus <laughs> but I think I think it flows into this section like three and four is. It's kind of all about the people who are responsible for making sure the worship happens, caring for the tavern. And so they're the people that have the the, um, candle lighters. They're the people that have the vessels and all of that. And they are charged with making sure it's stored properly, making sure that it's carried properly, making sure that it's set up properly, all of it. And so I think it goes to to how we approach worship as well.
1: Yeah, um, not this Sunday, but next we're um, celebrating our altar guild in our service just because this is a fabulous group of women that need to be celebrated, and I want them to know how much I love and care for them and how much the whole parish does because they do so much work. But so much of Numbers is a lot. Of, I think Alan said it, it's kind of like an altar build scripture that we're talking about um, in three and four, a lot of just like, how do we do it? How are the duties assigned? Um, what are the things that are important um, for us to do for them at that time to do worship well, and some of those things might carry on in today. Um, So, yeah, even though I asked a weird liturgical question, it kind of got us back to Scripture, which is sort of a neat thing that all that is tied in together. I do want to say, Church of the Resurrection Acolytes, you don't get to just show up and do whatever you want, but I'm very grateful that you're there. If any of you are listening, Um, I fall in that camp of I want you to do the right thing, but if you mess up, that's okay. I'm just really glad you're there. So,
0: do we want to move on? Let's keep going. Yeah. So we can skip over a little bit, maybe like after where I stopped and it's the Lord spoke to Moses saying, bring the tribe of Levi near, set them before Aaron, the priest, so that they may assist him. They shall perform duties for him and for the whole congregation in front of the tent of meeting, doing service at the tabernacle. They shall be in charge of all the furnishings of the tent of meeting, attend to the duties for the Israelites as they do service at the tabernacle. And so here we get kind of the, Beginning of the Levitical priesthood, right? Mm-hmm. The setting it up, and then, and then it goes on, and um, they do a census. We've had a census before, and this continues the census. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Enroll the Levites by ancestral houses, and those ancestral houses are um, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari." And then there's kind of three sections that that talk about. What's the role of the Gershon clan? What's the role of the Kohath clan? What's the role of the Merari clan? And how do they each, right? So this is kind of a pyramid scheme. Essentially, you've got the Aaron and the priest, and then you've got these three clans under that support and work with them and do their role, right? Like they, and I think it's pretty clear here, they're to stay in their lane. Moses, God through Moses says, don't do the things assigned to the other people, do the things assigned to you. Um, so that's kind of, I mean, that gets us through three. It's a lot of the repetition.
1: Well, and again, it's something that we've seen a lot already in numbers and all in Leviticus. God loves the details. Um, we've talked about this a lot that, um, I think God was really trying to prepare the Israelites for how to be, how to worship, how to put what things are important, what things need to have, um, significance, and being in your tribe, in your lane, how the tabernacle is set up, all of those things are of utmost importance. Um, so even though it might feel repetitive sometimes, I think it shows the significance of what it meant to God.
0: Yeah. There was, when we were talking before, Jimmy, before be, we... Be his... No, go ahead.
2: Sorry. I was going to say, just just to jump off from there, uh, uh, is, um yeah, that the the way that you phrased it was interesting because it it uh, it reminded me of sort of this proto Pauline concept, right? That that everybody has, you know, are part of this work that that they're called, that God calls them into, but each has their own specific and unique ways in which they they do it, in which. They they aren't to do something else in another way, right? Uh, so I, I I don't know that that seemed, that seems sort of an interesting uh, correlation. Uh, maybe something that I'm obviously Paul would have known about this and had a concept from a, from a cultural perspective. So, um, but
1: I think it yeah, I that's, think that's a great that's point. What it what also shows cool. like to this. It also shows like even today, like when we're doing ministry. Everyone has their call. The three of us are called to be Episcopal priests, but there's some people that are called to be deacons. There's some people that are called to be layman people. There's some people that are called to be vestry members, altar guild members, readers, whatever that might be. And it's up to us to live into that calling and say, yeah, Lord, I hear you. I'm ready to be a part of whatever it is that you are calling me to do. So y'all got something?
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I guess yeah, the only difference it's is the.
0: Yeah. Is what?
2: The only difference is, I guess that that they're sort of pre-described from their from their own family lineage and clan egg designation, but uh, there is an interesting correlation there.
0: Absolutely, and it is interesting. I mean, y'all are both um, PKs, but y'all's dads became priests when y'all were older, right? Like y'all were not. I was, was a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. And I there's a lot of PKs. We'll have a guest on in a couple of weeks who's a PK as well. Um and so that kind of goes to the, the lineage. You know, it's the family business in a sense. And and some of that continues today. Uh, Lord willing, for the sake of the church, I hope none of my kids become priests, because um, <laughs> that'll be the down or your kids, Jimmy. I mean, I love your kids, but William Walker and they don't need to be in charge of any kind
1: I think Sinclair would be a great priest. We'll give it to her.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we someday, need more women you know, priests. I'll let Sinclair come and uh, be here again.
1: Oh, and, we'll uh, do that. Your, We'd love your, to have uh, her. Let
2: your followers uh, uh, come
0: and uh, decide.
1: <laughs> I like it. I like it.
0: So, Jimmy, when we before we started recording, you brought up something that um, struck you as you were reading these, and just in the last little bit of time we have left, wanted to see if we could dig into that some. Yeah,
2: so share, Jimmy. um, Yeah, so. There, there's a part in, in verse eight in chapter three that, that talks about the, the role of the Levite sort of in the general sense. And um, and their their work is to keep watch. And you know, I think there there are two specific ways that to look at it. One would be like a keep watch as to attend to, right? Uh, another way, at least the historical way of looking at keeping watch, is also to defend. You know, like you're keeping watch on the castle wall. Like that's a there's a military term, you know. Um, and so, uh, and and so the so the idea is keeping watch, defending, keeping out. You know, uh, keeping from. You know, the, it said the Israelites keep. You know, keeping the other Israelites from entering, touching, or accessing the tabernacle. And I thought that there's an interesting sort of comparison at least from a uh, Western Christian perspective uh, or maybe Western Christian Episcopal perspective of the priesthood is uh, you know while you have one we have you we have this idea of uh, uh, our or numbers idea of the or Leviticus or uh, uh, Levite you know concept and then you have this this Western Christian Episcopal concept of the priesthood that really is not to keep watch, but to invite into, to open the doors for. You know, uh, you know. I think about the end of. Um, uh, is it the the uh, I'm I'm about to make a big mistake on on film, but uh, but is it is it Mark where the the curtain is torn in two, um, or is it or is it Matthew or Luke? Maybe it's John. It's one of those. It's
1: Matthew, it's, Mark, uh, Luke, or John. It's yeah. one of those four. Uh, yeah,
2: uh, yeah. Uh, had I maybe thought about this beforehand, uh, I would have, I would have made certain. Uh, but, but as you know, as the as Jesus dies and that curtain's torn in two, uh, has has the concept and the work of the priesthood. God's priesthood changed from keeping people outside of the curtain to inviting people into and I think about the image of uh, of us uh, of the priest pouring water on people's head you know Um, very intimate piece you know pressing the bread in someone's hand you know uh, non-COVID Times of course uh, when we're not using tongs or things like that, but um, but what the juxtaposition right of, of of guarding to keep outside, and now that there's no curtain that 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 keeps us away, the work of the priest has a role of inviting into, and I uh, I think the imagery you know as I kind of mentioned before I I think. Being formed in Scripture in a lot of ways is about us uh, being able to uh, to access what God gives us in terms of our uh, curiosity and our imagination, and 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 so creating the image of, of how God transforms the whole world in in Christ and and Christ's crucifixion. Uh, that not even gods prescribed priesthood it has the same similar roles so it's just there's something interesting there what 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 do y'all think about that what what kind of comes up for y'all when you think about the that that sort of trajectory or lineage
0: yeah i think we haven't talked about this Yet, but I mean, we've had the tabernacle and they've set it up and we've had a lot of prescription about how people are to be. But we haven't really talked about the fact that people were kept out of it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: that like this is kind of the genesis of the Holy of Holies. And and there's this idea that there's a place where God is that people can't be. Um, and we'll get into more of that as we go through. And there's like reasons why people are going to be struck dead and all of that, because it would, it is so holy. But it Yeah. Like, you know, Dr. Tony said a couple of weeks ago, we live on the other side of the cross. We live on the other side of the temple curtain being torn in two. We live on the other side that we believe as followers of Jesus, we have full access to God. God lives inside of us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And and yeah, I think that is a juxtaposition that we three are priests. My role is not to keep people from things. Um my role is to invite people into and that, you know, it's a slippery slope. And then you get into the questions about baptism and communion and all of these other things. Um There are still barriers that we put in place for right reasons. I think it's important that we do have some steps along the journey, but yeah, I mean, I, to see what Aaron and his kindred, what their role was and to, to feel what I feel our role is, is a complete 180, and it changed at the cross.
1: Yeah, beautifully said. I don't, I don't really have much to add to that, other than I think my question for the week um, that I'm going to be thinking about is how can I invite more people in? How can, uh, what can we do um, as a parish, as a diocese, as the body of Christ um, to invite more people in? Um, you know, I just think. I preached about this um, a couple of weeks ago. I think we just get so afraid to say, hey, why don't you just join me? You know, and I know the two of you have done some really cool things um, in your roles as canons with that. Um, and sometimes it's hard for us that are in the parish. We forget like how to do that, how to how to just see someone on the street and say, come on, be a part of it. You know, but that really is my job. Um, is to show God's love. It's your job. The two of y'all's job is to show God's love and to invite people in. And um, I want to see how we can, I can do that this week. So thanks, Jimmy, for that good thought. Do y'all have any questions you want to think about for the week? We try to do that, Jimmy, every week. Um, things we're thinking about that may have come up.
2: I want to learn more about that monk, Dan Marino, that Alan, uh, in his prayer, Alan prayed <laughs> for. Uh-huh. Right? was it?
0: Yeah, it's Marina the Monk. Marina uh, the Monk. About being yeah, a, a, a Hall of Fame, fame quarterback, quarterback. But maybe. So, um, I'm a little less interested now, but I'll, I'll, look, I'll look this
2: person up and your.
0: Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, in the true kind of Levite, Line of Aaron priesthood. I am now seeing it as my role is how can I keep Jimmy Hartley out of things? Um, how can <laughs> I uh, continue to keep him at arm's length and, and protect people from from him? No, I'm got, I'm thinking through this. Are, are
2: you equating me with the Holy of Holies? I I'm not comfortable with that, Mr. Uh, Father Benjamin.
0: Uh, that's Canon Ventra. Okay,
1: so I'm just going to start refereeing in just a minute. Alan, tell us what your question for the week is.
0: It's oh, not- I, I thought I just told – oh, no, sorry. My real question of the week is um, what what is my role? What are the things that I, Alan Ventrabert, am uniquely called and gifted to do? Um, you know, you see these people who have unique roles. Mary Balfour, what are you uniquely – gifted and equipped to do jimmy hartley what are you uniquely gifted and equipped to do and for everyone what are you uniquely equipped and gifted to do
1: nice y'all um these two guys are two of the best we got i love their friendship i'm glad they sometimes let me like hang out with them and um play have fun days and joke around and um they're the two two of the best i'm really glad y'all were both a part of this with me. I didn't have to referee too much. I'm proud of you. You led and you kept to the prayer. So good job, both of y'all. Um, and next week will be really special because Alan and I are going to do something that we've never done before which is record the podcast together. So we're going to try hard not to look at each other and look at the screen, but we're excited about that. Alan's coming to Church of the Resurrection in Greenwood, and we're going to record the podcast together. So don't forget to join us for that. Most of all, remember that you are so loved by us, but most importantly, by bye